just like pumps you up, man. You could play that song to like anything, like kittens, and you'd be pumped up somehow. Um, um, okay, uh, we doing okay so far? You guys are taking a lot in right now. I'm I'm like super impressed. Um, well, in this um, in this part two, I really want to. Uh, come around the idea of stories and how how powerful stories are. Um, one of the things our boss always says is that uh, stories are how you create a culture. And so the stories that you tell and, and, and the stories that you celebrate are, are really b- shape what you value and, and like what what's celebrated is what's repeated. Okay. And, and so um, because stories are just so powerful at, at connecting the dots on things. Um, one of my very first staff trainings, um, Claude, our boss, told this story about um, a keynote speaker who is the speaker for a, this winter conference for college students. So we're talking like a few thousand college students, and this guy's the, the keynote speaker. And he gets up there and just gives this unbelievable powerful talk, you know, weeping and gnashing of teeth in the stands, you know, like just unbelievable. And um, as he's walking off the stage, um, he just kind of like under his breath says to himself, dang, I'm good. Uh, Except for he didn't say dang. And uh, what he didn't realize was that his mic was still on. And so uh, 3,000 college students who had just got their world rocked by this guy are now, like, super confused. Like, who is this Yahoo, you know? And so Claude tells us this story. We're all like, you know. And Claude, so Claude tells us this story. First of all, say, never forget to turn your mic off, right? That's the point of that story, right? Um, No. Uh, Man, he tells us this story because we're a ministry of public speakers, and it's so easy to start to think that you're something when you're not. And, and, And pride creeps in, and so we should... Claude was just saying, I mean, we have to be diligent at fighting sin on the micro level so that we don't let pride creep in lest we think we're something that we're not. And, and Claude could have just said that, right? Like he could have just said, kill pride, the end. But he told a story. And so stories just have this, I don't know, something about them that um, just make us want to say yes. And, and uh, I, I actually uh, love that I was a history major in college, and uh, I love that we have a divine command to study history. Uh, Hebrews 13 says, remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God to you and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And so something happens inside of us as we see uh, the faith of some of the men and women, the heroes of our faith. So we're going to um, just take some time uh, to, to look at some of these stories of these famous missionaries that God has used. Um, and then I want to tell some stories of some modern day people that I think really just nail it. And, and I think that'll be a way for us to kind of help see what this could look like in our day-to-day life. Um, we're going to start with William Carey. You kind of got to start with William Carey, old Bill Carey, especially if you're a Baptist. I'm a Baptist, you know, along with you guys. So if you, you know, he's like the patron saint of Baptist missions here, okay? Um, and, and William Carey is considered the father of modern missions. The way we do missions in, in large part is because of the ideas that William Carey had. So into the 18th century and the 1700s, and, and William Carey was a, was a pastor in England, and, and his big contribution was to argue for the fact that the Great Commission was given to all believers 
And all believers had a part to play in fulfilling the Great Commission. Because the, the prevailing theology of the day for William Carey was that when Jesus gave the Great Commission, he gave it to the disciples and they finished it. Okay? Because Thomas went to India and Peter, you know, went to like Asia or something. And the Ethiopian eunuch, he knocked out like all of Africa. And so we're done. Okay? There's like this. And, and, and really, God, God, if, he, if he's doing more around the world, like that doesn't really have to do with us. That's his own prerogative. And that was the, the prevailing idea. And it was an over-application of the doctrine of God's sovereignty and the fact that God's in control. And so William Carey's like, uh, I, I don't really think so, you know, because like when you read the Bible, like the priesthood of all believers, like everyone has a part to play. And, and if you're going to, you know, if you're going to claim the promise at the end of the Great Commission that God will be with you always, you kind of need to obey the command. All right. And, and so that was his big contribution. And so there's a famous story where William Carey, he's like this young upstart pastor and he's in this meeting of other pastors and he's like defending his views on the Great Commission and this old guy in the back stands up and he just says, young man, sit down. When God wants to reach the heathen, he can do it without your help or mine. And so that's what that's what was going on uh, in his day. And William Carey's like, no way. And so back in the day, when somebody made you mad, you didn't tweet about him, you wrote a book about him. And so William Carey wrote a book in response to this line of thinking, and I love what he titled his book, An Inquiry into the Obligations of Christians to Use Means for the Conversion of the Heathens. Okay, I love, he wasn't dancing around the subject, right? Uh, he carries a little bit more weight than, you know, missions is neat, okay? He's like, here we go. Um, and a, a lot of the ways that we think about mission, this little book, the joke about the book is that the title's longer than the book. I mean, it's not that long, but it was brilliant, for its, I mean, just groundbreaking theological stuff. And so William Carey writes this, and this earns him the title of Father of Modern Missions. And then a few years after he writes that, he puts his money where his mouth is and sets sail as a missionary to India. A lot of you probably know that he was a missionary to India. And uh, William Carey spent seven years in India before he saw his first convert. Did you catch that? Seven years? Anybody ever led a Bible study and nobody showed up? Everybody ever done it for seven years in a row? Okay. Man, William Carey, he was just this plight. Yes, okay. Um, you're in great spiritual company, okay? <laughs> or maybe you need to change something. I don't know. <laughs> and so you're, you're in good company. So, man, William Carey, I love it. He just had this, this plodding mentality. You know, and, and eventually when the, the fruit came, it came in bunches. He established this school system, the postal system in India, planted churches, translated the Bible into thousands of languages. Um, just this awesome kind of hero of the faith. So father of modern missions, William Carey. Um, you know, about 100 years later, you got a guy named Hudson Taylor, not named after him, la, la, la. Um, okay, so, but um, I, I love Hudson Taylor. Um, what did I... Okay, um, he uh, he was a great missionary um, to China, and he I love what he <laughs> the way he approached things was a little bit different for his day. Um, he pioneered such crazy missions practices as learning the language of the people that you're going to minister to. Because when he was go when he landed in China, he found all these other British missionaries, and they were trying to teach the Chinese English so that then they could share the gospel with them. As if, like, English was, like, God's only language, okay? And so, uh, Hudson Taylor's like, uh, maybe you could learn Mandarin, bro, you know? And maybe you could dress like them instead of dressing like, you know, a foreigner so that you can get in. And he was um, huge on 
pushing the gospel not just to the coastlines of, of uh, Asia, and because at that point in history, the gospel had missionaries had really only gone to the coastlands. But Hudson Taylor said there are millions of people on the innermost parts of China that have no access to the gospel. So he founded China Inland Mission, and that was a new wave in missions history of getting the gospel into these innermost parts. And so he was a great missionary, but I actually think his greatest legacy is as a mobilizer. I think he was a better mobilizer than he was a missionary. He had to come home because he was sick, and when he was home, he got sick. When he got back, uh, he got sick, and so he had to come back to to England. When he was back, he would travel and he would speak and he would mobilize, and he did not sugarcoat anything. Uh, this is some of the stuff that he's saying. It will not do to say that you have no special call to go to China. With these facts before you and the command of the Lord Jesus to go and preach the gospel to every creature, you need rather to ascertain whether you have a special call to stay at home. (laughs) Spike the mic, right? Um, And so this guy, I mean, he was just... And and so, um, so many people, C.T. Studd is a famous missionary um, that that was mobilized by Hudson Taylor. One of my favorite ones mobilized by Hudson Taylor is a woman named Amy Carmichael. Some of you might know her story. Um, She heard Hudson Taylor speak um, caught a heart for China, wanted to go to China, but she went to Japan and then China for a little bit and then ended up in India. <laughs> and she went as a single woman to India and she spent, Amy Carmichael, um, spent her time going, uh, her main ministry was to go to these Hindu temples and to rescue these orphans out of uh, temple prostitution that they'd been given over to the gods. And so she would go around and she'd just rescue these orphans out of this. I mean, if you think human trafficking's new, it's not. And, and so, um, I mean, that was her main ministry. And she spent 55 years in, in India as a single woman without a furlough. 55 years. Nowadays we go like three months. It's long term. <laughs> long term. She went 55 years without a furlough. And she um, was a very prolific writer and a really great writer. And she was known for um, just, you're going to get this from our next lady too, um, for just being kind of like Hudson Taylor, a straight shooter. And um, she wouldn't, you know, um, sugarcoat anything. And so uh, she actually wrote a book. They had her write a book on what missionary life was like, what's your life like? You know, just tell us. And so she writes a book on it and she sends it to the publishers and publishers send it back to her and they're like, uh, hey, could you like, like nobody's going to read that because it's pretty intense. <laughs> and, and so like, could you like make it look a little bit prettier, a little bit nicer because I don't think anybody's going to want to be a missionary, you know? And so I love this. She, all she did was she changed the title and she sent it back to him. And the new title that she gave it was Things As They Are. Missionary life is simply a chance to die. It means a daily dying to self and what self wants, a daily turning to our master with a yes, Lord, to everything, even to what is most against the grain. Uh, It's in vogue to talk about missions as if it's not going to cost you anything these days. Um, Man, missions is the epitome of death to self. And, and uh, Amy Carmichael um, really hit on that. Uh, she was buried in India, and uh, on her tombstone, uh, there's just one word, the Hindi word, ama, which is the word for mother. And uh, she was never married, never had biological children, but she had all these spiritual children. 
And so that was her legacy. And y'all, that was not a consolation prize. Spiritual children. That's Amy Carmichael, um, another uh, firecracker lady, Lottie Moon. Again, if you're a Baptist, you got to know Lottie Moon, you know. Um, and uh, she uh, went to uh, another girl who went to China. Um, she grew up in Virginia, rich family, um, didn't really know Christ, went to college, kind of went off the deep end, but then got converted at a revival and and then caught a heart for China pretty quick. And so Lottie Moon, again, goes as a single woman to China, which, by the way, um, the last... Last stat I heard was like the number of single women to single men on the mission field is something like seven to one. It's like it's ridiculous, like how many single women there are to single men. So uh, it's crazy, which means if you're a single dude, like you need a passport like yesterday and like go just, you know, go to the mission field and you can find a wife. Um, Remember, Ruth met Boaz in the field, you know, so it's like it's biblical. So um, (laughs) that was free right there. That was free. Um, so Lottie, she goes as this single woman. I love she, her, her end at the beginning was to teach English and be a teacher. And she was like, man, it was too slow to start talking about the gospel. So she just goes to straight street preaching um, and just preaching the gospel. Um, she got pretty frustrated at one point because she's just laboring and laboring by herself. And she's got like no help. And so she writes these letters back home, like, hello, Baptists. And uh, she's like, it is odd, she wrote, that a million Baptists of the South can furnish only three men for all of China. Odd that with 500 preachers in the state of Virginia, we must rely on a Presbyterian to fill a Baptist pulpit. I wonder how these things look in heaven. They certainly look very queer in China. (laughs) Um... (laughs) And so little Lottie, dude, she was four foot three, man. She packed a punch. And, um, and, and, you know, in the later years of her ministry, she just gave and gave and gave and gave of herself. By the end, um, she emptied her own savings accounts and was living among the people, like, just in the poorest of the poor. Um, had, because of that, had gotten really, really sick. And so they said, man, they came in. They said, we got, we got to send you home, like, get you better. And um, uh, sailing home uh, to America, New Year's or Christmas Eve, she passed away alone on the boat. And uh, that's why every year take up the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, um, the Southern Baptists do. And uh, yeah, this just this incredible, her legacy lives on. You know, again, that's not a spiritual or that's not a it's not a consolation prize, like unbelievable how God used her. Um, so these are some really cool stories. I want to spend um, the, the rest of our time on the history part. Um, I want to look at one history uh, or one movement of missions in history that it, it, in, in pretty much any metric is the largest missions movement in history, okay? Um, and uh, it starts with uh, a guy named Samuel Mills in the Haystack Prayer Meeting in 1806. This is in America, Williams College in Massachusetts, and Samuel Mills uh, was a freshman, and uh, as a freshman, he's leading a Bible study at Williams College, and uh, he had about 20 other guys in his study, and so he, he had a heart for the world. His mom had prayed that he would be a missionary, so he had like, grown up among that. And uh, 
Samuel Mills had just gotten a copy of the hot new book by this young upstart pastor. He's like the Matt Chandler, you know, of the day, the David Platt. And it's this book called An Inquiry to Use Our Obligations for the Means of the Conversion of the Heathen. It's by this guy named William Carey. And so he gets this book. He's like, guys, we got to go through it. And so they're like reading this book. And so they would go, they'd have this study like off campus in this place called Sloan's Meadow. And so they're out there one day. There's usually 20 guys in the study. One day there's only five and they're out there, five freshmen. And as they're out in the field, this storm starts. They see a storm coming over the hills and they've got two options to avoid the storm. They can either go back to campus, which would make the most sense, or B, option B, they can duck under this haystack where the cows have kind of eaten around the edge and it made like a little canopy. And I don't know why, but they got under the haystack, okay? Maybe because they're freshmen. And they get under there. And, um, and so, like, they're under a haystack, and this wrath of God, Old Testament storm, just descends upon them. So thunder and lightning. And they're like, yikes! You know? And so they're like, we're about to meet our maker over here. And so they start having some pretty solemn heart check, life check moments. Like, what is our life even counted for? And they just start praying. They start praying and, and they're praying about all kinds of things, praying about the, the fact that up until that point, um, not one single American missionary had ever been sent out. There had been missionaries sent to America, but there'd never been missionaries sent from America. In fact, there weren't even mission agencies who could send someone if they wanted to go. And Samuel Mills kind of led the charge and <laughs> down there it says, we can, we can do this if we will. He says, we, we can do this if we will, us five freshmen. And from those five freshmen at Williams College, the first six mission agencies in America were started. Um, and so if you want to, uh, this is one of the reasons the traveling team, we focus on um, ministering to college students because if you want to find the birthplace of American missions, it's on the college campus. And so it, God was planting some seeds here with Samuel Mills in the Haystack prayer meeting that he would grow for about 80 years. What seeds are you planting right now that God could grow for 80 years? You might never see the fruit of them. 80 years they grew. Luther Wishart, 1885. Luther is a campus minister. He graduates from Princeton with a law degree. He's a campus minister for a ministry called the YMCA. Okay, and so, you know, um, nowadays we think of the YMCA, we think like a dirty pool and a bad basketball program, but back in the day, it was legit, okay? Um, and they were, you know, this awesome campus ministry. And so Luther, his job was to, to travel by train to the different campuses in America and to, like, encourage students um, in the Word and evangelism and prayer. And so Luther um, starts getting really excited because he knew his next stop on his tour was this place called Williams College. And Luther knew his history, and he knew the story of the, the Haystack prayer meeting. And so he knew that there was a, um, a monument there at Williams College, the Haystack prayer monument. My team got to see it when we were in Massachusetts. There's the globe, and there's uh, a haystack, and then there's the names of the five guys. And so Luther, as he gets to just this unbelievable spot, you know, where God had, had worked in incredible ways. I mean, he's a campus minister. And so he gets down on his knees and he just starts praying and he just starts praying. And, and this is one of the prayers he prayed. Oh, God, where water once flowed, let it flow again. Where you've poured out your spirit on five freshmen to start missions in America, would you do it again? I'm a, I'm a college minister, and, and I want to see a revival of college students going to the nations. And so he prays that, and then he stays down on his, his knees, um, and he prays what I call a prayer of consecration. 
And he says, Lord, I'm willing to go anywhere at any time to do anything for you. Anytime, anywhere to do anything for you. Um, You never get to a point in your spiritual life where you are past praying that prayer. Okay? That is a great prayer to wake up to every day. Lord, everything that I have is yours. Not my will, but yours. And so... So Luther, um, he's, he's praying, and as he's praying, um, God just bursts this vision in his heart for what if, what if there was just a movement of college students uh, going to the nations? And so he has an idea about how he could make that happen. So he says, here's what we'll do. We'll have a, a, like a summer conference for college students. And we'll invite college students from all over the country to come to this, mainly freshmen and sophomores, so that they can go back to their campuses afterwards. But we'll get these students to come to this conference. We'll say that it's a discipleship conference, because if we say it's about missions, nobody will want to come. But if we say it's about discipleship, we'll get them there. And then we'll sneak attack them once they get there, okay? And so they're going to come. We'll get, we'll get D.L. Moody. He's like the Matt Chandler of the day. Okay, we'll get D.L. Moody um, to speak. We'll have it at his house, and he'll be our keynote speaker, all right? And so we'll, that'll draw a lot of people. Okay, and then over the course of the conference, we're going to we're going to sneak attack him with missions and we're going to implant missions vision into him. But he he knew that it couldn't come mainly from him, the missions vision. It had to come from within the students themselves. And so his idea was to plant a few key guys within the group of students who had a heart for the world who could kind of turn things that way. And so he knew the perfect guy to get was Robert Wilder. And Robert was, uh, so Luther goes back to his alma mater, Princeton. That's how he knew Robert. And Robert was the son of a missionary. He's a missionary kid. His dad, Royal Wilder, was a, a missionary to India. And Robert had an incredible heart for the world, a heart for missions. He led this group um, at Princeton called the Princeton Foreign Missions Fellowship, which is just a group that got together regularly to pray for the world. He edited this missions magazine that went out to churches all over America, like super nerdy, you know, mission stuff. And he'd send that out. Um, and, and then he was getting ready to sail when he graduated to India. He was going to go back to India as a missionary. And so Luther's like, yes, I got to get Robert. He'll come to the conference. It's going to be amazing. And so he pitches his plan um, to Robert for the conference, and Robert says no. <laughs> and so Luther's like so bummed. He's like, oh man, this is like, you know, this is my key guy, and I don't know um, what's going to happen at this point. And just, he's about ready to give up and then enter into the story uh, Grace Wilder, Robert's older sister. And let me just tell you about little Gracie, okay, because she was legit. Uh, Grace, when she, um, when she was a sophomore at Mount Holyoke, which is a school for all girls, uh, she had a Bible study with about 30 girls in her Bible study, and it had a waiting list to get into the Bible study, okay? And in order, before Grace would let you into her Bible study, you had to sign a pledge that you would be a missionary. Then she let you into the Bible study. Okay, um, I remember hearing that, and I was just like so mad because like I can't got, get guys to commit to bringing a two liter, you know. And she's she's getting them to sign their life, you know. All these college guys now, like I'm just overcommitted. I'm like, 
<sighs> you know, and they're, she's getting them to sign their lives away before they even come to the Bible say, this is what she, she made them sign. We hold ourselves willing and desirous to do the Lord's work wherever it may be, even if it be to the foreign lands. And so she, little Gracie, that's her Bible say. So little Gracie's basically like leading girls to Christ and punting them out to the nations. And so she's obviously got a heart for the world. And she hears about this plan of Luther's and hears that Robert has said no, and she flies off the handle. She's like, Robert, you big dope. Uh, What are you thinking? Because that entire year, Grace and Robert had been praying for a revival of college students and missions in America. And she's like, Robert, this this is it. This is the answer to our prayers, and you're saying no. And so she goes big sister on him. She's like, you're going to the conference, Robert. You know, like, and he's like, yeah, you know. And, and so he goes, um, and, and uh, he's, he says, okay, I'll go. And, and she says, what's more, Robert, I'll stay behind, and I will pray every single day um, that from that conference, God would raise up 100 long-term cross-cultural missionaries. I'll pray every day. And so Robert's like, okay, I'll go, you know. And so he goes to this conference, and, and, and it's happening just almost like picture perfect, like how Luther had planned it. These guys are, the, the, the guys at the conference are growing just in their walk with Jesus. But specifically, um, Robert would hold these like, these prayer gatherings where people would come down, they'd have a map, and they'd just pray for different parts of the world. And, and so guys were starting to catch missions vision. They brought in a guy named A.T. Pearson, um, who is a great missions pastor, and he just gave some very, very, very powerful talks, and guys were just giving their lives away. And so it, it gets to, like, the last day of the conference, and Robert uh, makes an announcement, and he says, hey, if over the course of this conference you feel like the lord has led you to go be a long-term missionary um we want to have a last prayer meeting for you and we want uh, you to sign a commitment card and we want to send you out and so he says you know he makes the announcement and so they're, they're having the prayer meeting and robert you know he's like praying but he's like keeping one eye open you know like counting how many people are, are coming down and he counts and there's 99 and he's like this is unbelievable are you serious and so the way the story goes he he goes back to room and he's packing his bag and he hears this like knock on the door and he opens the door and there's this freshman uh commitment card you know crying it's not flowing okay and uh he says i just i've been wrestling with the lord but i know that i want to go and so 100 long-term cross-cultural missionaries just like little gracie had prayed and i don't know who thought of it but somebody snapped a pic there they are the mount herman 100 um there's dl moody there's at pearson there's luther wishard um mark 16 15 was their theme verse going to all the world and preach the good news to all creation and their motto was the evangelization of the world in this generation we're not going to wait for another generation to pick up the gauntlet to take the gospel to the ends of the earth by god's grace we will and so what made the mount herman 100 so powerful was not just there was 100 but they went back to their campuses and so they started mobilizing other students and in fact two people robert wilder and another guy traveled that entire next year to different campuses and they just went campus to campus like mobilizing students they They'd share about God's heart for the world in Scripture, and then they'd share about the needs in the world, um, just challenging students. And they were able to recruit 2,106 students to give their lives to missions that one year, the year after the Mount Hermon 100, which was more missionaries than had ever been raised up in the history of America in one year by a bunch of college students. 
And uh, in fact, that idea of traveling to different campuses, that's where the traveling team was birthed. Uh, Robert Wilder was called a traveling secretary. And so that idea is, is where our ministry is found. So um, they, they knew that, though, that they wanted to, um, to keep it going. And so they said, we've got to put a name on this thing. So what do you want to call it? I don't know. It's a movement of students who are volunteering. So let's call it the student volunteer movement. <laughs> so they said, yeah. And so they call it the student volunteer movement. And um, God would just use, over the next 40 years, God would use the student volunteer movement to raise up 100,000 college students to give their lives to missions. 20,000 like actually went as missionaries and 80,000 like stayed behind and formed like a, a band, uh, like the layman's missionary movement um, to send them out. And, and, and by every every measurement, it was the largest missions movement in history. Um, and, and it was birthed in prayer and uh, people catching a heart um, for what God is doing all the way around the world. And, and just um, kind of to bring it to the history part to a close, um, I'm just going to share a story of one of the products of the student volunteer movement. This is one of the students who is mobilized by them is a guy named William Borden and uh, his biography is called Borden of Yale. He went to Yale University, um, born of a really, really wealthy family. He was worth about $2 billion. That's billion with a B. Um, For his high school graduation, his parents bought him a trip around the world. And it's 1905, okay? Um, And his parents bought him a trip around the world. And as he traveled around the world, he was broken as he saw people worshiping idols. I mean, all kinds of religions. And it it just, people without access to the gospel, like it just really messed him up. And so when he goes to Yale as a freshman, he just starts doing ministry. And him and a buddy started meeting together for prayer in the mornings. And uh, and eventually, you know, that group got big enough and they had to split. And then there's a few other groups and then other groups. And by the end, um, by the end of his freshman year, there were 150 students in these little prayer groups around campus. Um, And by the time he graduated from Princeton, a thousand of the 1300 students at Princeton were in these prayer groups. And so um, just this he's doing ministry from the very beginning. And as a freshman. Uh, he went to a winter conference for the student volunteer movement. So he went to one of their conferences and he heard this guy named Samuel Zwamer, uh, who is a famous missionary to the Muslims, come and speak and, 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 and talk about these Muslim people groups in the westernmost parts of China. And, and William said, I'm in, I gotta go. And so um, he, he wrote in the back of his Bible, uh, no reserves. He said, man, I'm not holding anything back. And so he goes back, but he was a freshman. So he goes back to campus, and you know what he does? He keeps doing ministry. He starts something called the Yale Hope Mission that would minister to, like, drunks and um, impoverished there in New Haven, Connecticut. And uh, then he graduates from Yale, goes to Princeton to get a seminary degree. And um, after he gets his seminary degree, he spent three months... um, with the student volunteer movement. And he had, he had all kinds of business offers because he was really, really well connected to all these people like, all right, you know, here, you know, we'll give you this posh uh, job. And, and he knew the call that God had given him in his life. And so he said, no retreats. Okay, I'm not here. So he writes that under no reserves. I'm not, I'm not going to retreat. So he does this, this little stint, three-month stint with the student volunteer movement. And uh, John Mott, who is the leader of the student volunteer movement, said that those three months that William Borden was on the road with the student volunteer movement were the most fruitful three months of the entire movement. 
um, because God had just been using him in an incredible way. So William Borden does three months with the student volunteer movement, and then he's like, see you later, I'm out of here. He jumps the puddle. And so he uh, starts making his way to China um, to work with these Muslim people groups. His first stop is Egypt to start learning language. And uh, as he's in Egypt, he's there for two weeks, and he actually contracts spinal meningitis and dies two weeks later in Egypt. And, um, you know, like the, the news of his death hits the papers in America and, and, and everybody is saying, what a waste. Like, here's this young, smart, rich, talented guy, and he's just wasted his life and it has died because of it. And um, that next year, they had another student volunteer movement conference. And um, they decided to tell William Borden's story at the conference. And so somebody had actually found William Borden's Bible. And what they had found um, in his Bible was that um, right after he had found out that he had spinal meningitis, um, so about two weeks before he passed away, um, right under No Reserves, No Retreats, he wrote No Regrets. Um, Knew he was going to pass away. He said, I don't regret a thing. Um, and uh, John Mott said, William Borden's story at the 1913 Student Volunteer Movement Conference was the single most powerful appeal for missionary service that was ever made in the history of the SVM. And so my wife and I uh, just love that story of, of William Borden, and so when we adopted our son, we named him Samuel Borden Smith, and we call him Borden. Um, because we just think, man, what a, what a legacy of a life um, that, that God used. And so this is the kind of student that was being raised up by the student volunteer movement. So just unbelievable. And I, we don't have time to tell just all these more uh, just amazing stories of the men and women that God has used in history. But if you look just as a theme, uh, these people said yes to God when everybody else was saying no. And, and, and they, that, that's um, why God used them. And so I want to, for the rest of our time, I want to transition because it's, it's, so, it's so easy to hear stories like that. And you're like, man, that's awesome for them. You know, woo I love that guy. All right, I'm going to go eat some pizza. You know, and like, it, it's just like we, we, we think, man, that, that is, here's this spiritual pedestal but that's not me. Like that has no bear. How does that come to bear on my day in and day life, day in and day out life as a stay at home mom, as a teacher, as a businessman? How, you know, what does that look like? Are you telling me that I have to, you know, do that kind of stuff? And so I want to just focus on what does it look like for us right in the spheres of influence that God has put us to live with world vision. So really this is the question that, that I think everybody has to be asking yourself, and I think you have to ask it to yourself for all of your life, really. I, I don't think there's a point when you, when you stop asking yourself this question. In this season of life, how can I be going and sending? How can I be going and sending? Um, not going or sending, okay? Uh, but both. And, and not everyone's going to be a long-term missionary, um, but, but there's there are seasons, and, and I think some people have, have exempted themselves um, when, maybe, when maybe they shouldn't. But I want to I focus in on what does it look like 
um, for in every season of life to be a goer and to be a sender. So we're going to talk about going, how you can go across the street, specifically talking about reaching internationals, um, and then how you can go cross-culturally, like going on mission trips. So we're going to talk about those two. And sending, how do you send? Well, you send by praying and by giving. And, and these, again, these are these are things that it's not like, oh, I'm going to pick one of those. That sounds good. And I'm just going to do that. But really, how do I integrate all of these into my life to some degree? Because, you know, um, you, you, you can't just say, well, you know, I can pray and I can give, but I would never go as a missionary. I, I refuse. Like, that's, that's not how it works, <laughs> okay? Um, and, and maybe you don't go as a long-term missionary, but you use your vacation time uh, to go on short-term trips and take your family. One of our supporters, he used to, um, <laughs> he's a dentist, and he would take his kids on mission trips for their vacation. They went to Pakistan. He took his 16-year-old girl to Pakistan. I'm like, who are you? What's wrong with you, you know? Um, but, like, I mean, how do we think creative about how to integrate these? So I'm just going to go super quick. And just I want to tell some stories of, of what this has looked like and hopefully give some feet to this in your life. And, and what I, my challenge I want for you in these last moments is, is you to be thinking and doing work with the Lord to make this land in your own life, okay? Because I can't be the Holy Spirit for you. <laughs> like, I can't be specific, and, and this doesn't look the same in everyone's life, but I want you to be thinking about that. So, um, we're going to talk about sending by praying first. And um, Matthew nine thirty seven and 38, I think, is, is just one of the best prayers that you could pray. Um, if, if Jesus gave you a prayer request, would you pray for it? <laughs> Like, yes, sir. Okay. Uh, let me read to you from Scripture Jesus' prayer request. Matthew nine thirty seven thirty eight. 38. He said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. If you never prayed another prayer for the world other than, Lord, raise up laborers from life bridge to go to the ends of the earth, that would be an amazing prayer. Lord, raise up laborers from among us, from lifers, to go to the ends of the earth. That would be an incredible prayer. And uh, I just want to warn you ahead of time that sometimes that prayer is a dirty, rotten trick, okay? Um, Because it was for the disciples, okay? They prayed, and then at the beginning of Matthew 10, they got sent out, right? You You get what we call the divine tap. On the shoulder, it's like, you're the answer to your own prayer. Okay, um, We had a guy who, um, he got the book Operation World. Are you familiar with that book? It's, got, it's, it's a book that's got information about every country in the world and how you can pray for it. And so he gets Operation World. He's like, I'm going to pray for every country in the world. You know, He opens it up. All right, alphabetically, A, first country listed, Afghanistan, 99% Muslim. So he starts praying for Afghanistan. And the next day, he's like, all right, I'm going to turn the page. Uh, you know, maybe Afghanistan could use a little more prayer. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to pray for Afghanistan. And so he keeps praying for Afghanistan, keeps praying for Afghanistan, ends up going to Afghanistan as a long-term missionary. And you hear stories like that, and it makes you feel bad for Zimbabwe. Like, <laughs> you're like, we need somebody to go through this thing backwards or start in the middle or something, you know. Um, but but what, what happened in that, I mean, when you pray for the things that are on God's heart, those same things start to be on your heart, okay? And so, so don't underestimate how God might use your prayers to change things on the other side of the planet. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. 
Um, so praying, giving, obviously that's one that's one way to be involved. And I, I want to challenge not um, me and not just do we give to missions, but is it sacrificial? I mean, I think sacrificial is the model of giving um, that, that Christ gives us in Scripture. It's the it's the it's the model of giving that He lived out, like we talked about earlier, Revelation five nine. You purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And so um, the connection is our. There's a connection between your treasure and your heart. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Our, our treasure tells on our hearts. Like our bank account reveals how we spend our money, reveals where our priorities are, where our hearts are. And like we said earlier, unfortunately, you know, we don't always do that great at that. Um, but but I just want to challenge you um, to, to think about how do we give sacrificially and, and just to get really radical. We um, knew some people, they were young and, and had got, um, felt like they wanted to go to the Middle East as missionaries, but, but God, he was a civil, the husband was a civil engineer and an opportunity came up for them to take over his dad's crane operating business, like a family business. And they felt like the Lord was leading them to take over the business and that they wanted to use that business to support missions in the 1040 window. And so they said, man, we're going to take this over and we're going to set ourselves a salary that's just pretty average for where we live. And whatever God blesses our business with beyond that, we're going to give 100% of it away to missions in the 1040 window. And so the first year they're able to give away $50,000. And they're like, are you serious? Like, this is awesome. And God just kept blessing their business until one year they gave away a million dollars. And the last time I talked to him, um, they were giving away a million dollars a month. And they never raised their salary. The world's economy says, the more I get blessed, (laughs) the more I get to keep. God's economy says, the more I get blessed, the more I get to be a blessing. Right? Um, And so so practically, what does this look like? Uh, I'm going to use college students for a few of these illustrations because they just crack me up. And I think they're hilarious. And and they come up with some really creative ways. We had some guys at the University of Arkansas who started what they called a ramen holiday. Okay, Um, And I love this. Um, You're going to love it. So they said, man, every Sunday after church, we go out to eat. And we spend about 10 bucks going out to eat. And so instead of this week, you know, we're going to start a thing. And instead of going out to eat after church, we're going to get together. We're going to cook a big pot of ramen and we're going to donate the 10 bucks that we would have spent uh, going out to eat to a missionary going to the 1040 window. And we're going to spend some time praying for the world over our ramen. And so each week they gave 10 bucks, which is about 30 or 40 bucks a month by giving up one meal. Y'all. It's not, don't make it more complicated than that, okay? Like, what is your budget and what things can you joyfully sacrifice to invest in the kingdom? Uh, maybe the most spiritual thing that you can do is to create a budget, okay? So that you know where your money is. Um, once again, college students, we were talking to college students about the need for a budget and one of the guys in the back was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we were like, Hey, bro, you, you know, do you have something to contribute? And he's like, oh, yeah, everyone needs a budget. I made a budget, and I realized I was spending 30 bucks a month on gum. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, yeah, I love gum, obviously. And he said, he's like, but I made a budget, and now I'm down to a pack a week. It's awesome. <laughs> um, and it's like, so, so some, of you, some of you might not know where your money is going. 
Are you tracking with me on this? Like, so how do you know what you can sacrifice? So make a budget and then say, oh my gosh, we spend this much on that. I would, I would love to give that up to invest it in the kingdom. You tracking? I mean, we can give up Starbucks and the 1040 window will be reached tomorrow. You know, it's like, I'd rather go. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, so, all right, well, you see in this giving sacrifice. So to, how do we sin? I mean, and, and again, this is not for some people to say, I'm a sender. Well, I'm a goer. So I'm a goer. That means I don't send. Do you think that long term missionaries are ex- are exempt from the command to give sacrificially or to pray for the world? No, I think that'd be a good idea for them to give sacrificially and to pray for the world. Are you tracking with me? So if you're a goer, are you exempt from sending? No. If you're a sender, are you exempt from going? Nope. Okay, and so I want to talk now about how, what does it look like for us to go um, across the street, specifically to internationals. And I love that Jesus modeled reaching out to internationals. If you storyboarded Jesus's miracles, two-thirds of them were performed among internationals, the Gentiles, people outside the fold of the Jewish, um, you know, Jewish race. And so Jesus focused on the 12 and invested in the 12, but that didn't keep him from looking up to see the nations that God had put right around him. And God has put nations right here in Kansas City. And you can just look up and there's incredible opportunities. Um, and don't underestimate the power of, of just a simple gesture of love. Do not, un- especially for an international. Eight out of ten international students who come and study in the U.S. will never step foot in an American home while they're here. And so even the smallest gestures can be unbelievable. Um, we had some friends who got to lead a Saudi Arabian international student to Jesus. I don't know if you realize how rare that is, but like unbelievable. And this guy, it took him seven years from the time he first heard the gospel until he came to Christ. Seven years. You know the first day that he heard the gospel? September 11, 2001. He was a Middle Eastern student studying in the U.S. and the planes hit the towers. You want to bet he was a little bit nervous? And his Christian neighbors, all they did was they went next door and they said, hey, we just, we just want to let you know we're here for you if you need anything. Like, if you want to talk about anything, um, just let us know, okay? If you need us to go to the grocery store for you or with you because you're nervous, we'd be happy to. They prayed for him. They shared the gospel with him. And then for seven years, he watched their life until he came to Christ. Couldn't take it anymore. It's incredible. Do not underestimate um, the, the, what a simple gesture um, of love toward an international can do. And they are, you want to talk about people who are ripe spiritually, who, who are interested in spiritual conversation. So, um, and again, not an option for us to say, mm, no thanks. That's not me. I mean, Jesus modeled it, and, and it's, that's the, the role of the church. Now, is, does it look the same for everybody? No, but we, we have a part that we can play. Okay, got to keep going. Got, going um, cross-culturally, and um, I, Jesus, obviously, he's got to be our model for this. I mean, uh, John 1.14 says, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, uh, but in the incarnation, Jesus modeled cross-cultural going. Like, there, 
Jesus left the glories and the comfort of heaven to come and endure the shame and the suffering of the cross. He emptied himself. He made himself nothing. nothing. Like, there has never been a more significant culture crossing than Jesus coming to us. Unbelievable. And so in going, even if it's just short term, we get a taste of what that's like to give something up to go for the good of someone else. Are you tracking with me on that? And so we, we get this taste even in short term. I think short term is a great place to start um, because God uses that to change our hearts in a lot of these areas. I went on a short term mission trip to China and I came back and I wanted to pray for China and I wanted to tell everybody else to go to China and I want to give all my money to China and you know I want to go back to, I want to reach out to Chinese international students. And so God uses that um, in incredible ways, even short term. Like I said, you might not be a long term missionary, but man, if you're a teacher, use your summers, use your vacation time. If you're a student, use your summers. Um, man, what, what are the ways that you, you know, taking family mission trips? I think that's unbelievable. Um, and so going short term, but, but we, we, you know, as good as short term mission trips are, I think we've got to say, hey, long term missions is, is really where we have to like zero in um, because the 1040 window is not going to be reached by a bunch of two-week mission trips. I think we can all we can all agree that it's going to take men and women who are willing to give their lives to take the gospel there. And I just I don't want you to exempt yourself from something that you've never actually wrestled with, because so many people are like, well, that's just I mean that is just so not me. Like I'm actually a normal person, you know, and so I'm like not weird, okay. Um, and, and so I just and I love these stories when you hear how people got called or whatever you want to call it and you know we have the story of rob and beth and they were in their late 30s three kids loved the great commission i mean they gave like sacrificially like crazy um he was an engineer she was a physical therapist and so they you know felt like god had given them a role as as senders and prayers and then their church had a missions conference and they volunteered to host the missionaries that their church had sent out who were coming in to speak and so these missionaries were uh, working in the, uh, with an agency called New Tribes Mission, uh, working in Papua New Guinea. And, and so, so the, the, the Rob and Beth host this couple. And so the couple comes to dinner. And so they just start asking them questions, you know, like, how exactly did you wind up in the jungle? You know, like, <laughs> what did that look like? And so this couple is just talking. And all Rob and Beth can think the whole time that they're talking is, oh, my gosh, they're just like us. They're normal. He he was in business. She was a teacher. And they gave it up and said, we're going to go lose our lives for the gospel in the jungle. And so Rob and Beth just start thinking, are we crazy? Could this be us? And now they're raising support to go long term, taking their three kids, you know, to go long term. And so I I don't want you to exempt yourself from something that you've never really wrestled with. And not because there's this guilt or obligation, but for the joy that's set before you. That's why Christ endured the cross, for the joy that was set before him. I love this story of uh, John Patton, this famous missionary to the Hebrides Islands, is this this missionary uh, to these cannibalistic people. Um, they, they had eaten the missionaries had, who had gone to them before him. Okay? And he goes to them. Like, who does that? Okay. And so he goes, and this is after he had planted the church there. And, uh, quote, 
At the moment I put the bread and wine into these dark hands, once stained with the blood of cannibalism, now stretched out to receive and partake the emblems and seals of the Redeemer's love, I had a foretaste of the joy of glory that well nigh broke my heart to pieces. I shall never taste a deeper bliss till I gaze on the glorified face of Jesus himself. You want in on that. It does not get better this side of heaven than preaching the gospel to someone who's never heard the name of Jesus and watching them come to Christ. Nobody's, nobody's twisting your arm, okay, to do that. So, um, will you, you know, will you rest with, and again, I can't be the Holy Spirit in your life, okay? And so, what, what does this look like um, for you? And I, I do want to encourage you to, um, to not just do this yourself, but to bring others along with you. Uh, John Mott from the Student Volunteer Movement said, He who does the work is only surpassed in value by the one who multiplies the doers. Okay, And so you, you might never step foot among an unreached people group, but you might mobilize 20 or 30 people who do. What if, what if someone uh, fi- winds up on the mission field 20 years from now because you, their Sunday school teacher, cared enough about them to, to cast world vision to them as a as a eighth grader unbelievable um so don't don't underestimate um the the power that you have as a mobilizer and i would even encourage you this is why you should take perspectives i don't think you should necessarily take perspectives just for you you might need to take perspectives for who god will use you to influence like your family okay um, or your coworkers, or other believers, the guys and girls that you're discipling don't think about what am i going to get out of it what could god do in you and then use you for um, so we should all be mobilizers last word of wisdom then we'll be done elizabeth elliott went to be with the lord a few years ago unbelievable jim elliott's wife incredible um, when you don't know what to do next simply do the next thing seems simple brilliant as wise as it gets. Are you overwhelmed with, uh, what do I do? Yeah. Take the next step of obedience that's right in front of you. Start a world prayer group. You start praying for the world with your small group, your Sunday school class, or your family. Do you know a missionary who's raising support? Join their team. Don't wait for them to ask. Crazy. You know an international? You know someone from another country? Introduce yourself. Take that next step of obedience, okay? That's how God directs our paths. He's not looking for you to plan the next 20 years of your ministry today. He says, take that next step of obedience, all right? Deal? Let me pray, and then turn it over to you, Chris. Um, or we're going to watch a video, sorry. Uh, Lord, would you come now, and, and just as we watch this video about perspectives and, 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 and how you've used that and how you want to use that, would you continue to just... Uh, speak to our hearts and in Holy Spirit impress things upon us so that we walk away from this week changed. And, and, and that's what we're looking for, changed um, trajectories and that you use, Lord, would you use the men and women in this room, would you use LifeBridge Church to do unbelievable things for the gospel? I pray that there are people groups around the throne in heaven because of the life and labors of men and women in this room. Would you raise up goers? Would you raise up senders um, from this room? And uh, Lord, let it be. We pray it all uh, in Christ's name. Amen. I think we're going to watch a video about perspectives now. Hollywood to Kathmandu, from Wall Street to Morocco. You felt the call to serve the nations, yet have little idea how to live that out. You long to run with greater purpose, but wrestle with how to integrate church life with everyday life. 
How many never realize their fullness in the workplace? How many let the cry of the nations go unanswered? How many settle for less than their destiny? What is the world missing without you thriving in your purpose? The harvest is great, but workers are coming. It's time. Time to be awakened, realigned, transformed, ruined for the ordinary, and ignited to God's purpose. Perspectives is a dynamic weekly course that empowers God's people to strategically partner with Him in accomplishing His timeless missional purpose around the globe. For over 40 years, Perspectives has had a far-reaching effect on believers, mission agencies, and churches with over 250,000 alumni. Today, that passion continues in your generation. This is the hour for the body of Christ to step into a strategic partnership to see God's glory among all peoples. Perspectives engages and equips believers through four main vantage points, biblical, historical, cultural, and strategic. You will experience 15 different instructors over a 15-week period, covering the content of articles written by over 150 scholars and practitioners from diverse backgrounds. In these divine moments, key men, women, and even entire generations have risked everything because they've caught a glimpse of God's promise fulfilled and have pressed forward to see it realized in their own day. Join us, not in making history, but fulfilling history. Visit Perspectives.org to join a class near you or online.